Welcome to the Movie Geeks United 30th Anniversary Celebration of The Color of Money. Audiences first met the indelible character of Fast Eddie Felsen in 1961's The Hustler, brilliantly portrayed by screen icon Paul Newman. Felsen was a cocksure pool shark who met his match in Minnesota Fats, played to suave perfection by Jackie Gleason. Newman was anxious to return to one of his most beloved characters, to explore the manner in which Felsen would mature with the passage of time, and 25 years after the original film, he got his wish. Enlisting director Martin Scorsese and working from a poetically crafted script by acclaimed writer Richard Price, The Color of Money gives us a Felsen who's definitely wizened by age. He's retired his pool cue and no longer functions as a player. He's now a successful wholesale liquor salesman who remains on the periphery of the game as a facilitator to young hustlers in training. But when he takes Vincent under his wing, a puffed-up, drippingly arrogant young pool shark played with extreme bravado by Tom Cruise, he recognizes himself in the young man, and the competitive fires begin to rage within him once again. In the center of this formidable twosome is Vincent's girlfriend, Carmen, perhaps the biggest hustler of all. She's portrayed by the stunning actress Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio in a truly great performance, savvy and knowing, authentic, always watching and absorbing, by turns puppet master and a master observer. This was only the second major feature in which she appeared. Her first was the high-profile role of Gina, Tony Montana's sister in Brian De Palma's Scarface. Other credits include leading roles in James Cameron's The Abyss, Michael Apted's Class Action opposite Gene Hackman, and Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves opposite Kevin Costner. Recently, she could be seen on a recurring role in the hit television series Limitless. Miss Master Antonio joined us to discuss her recollections of shooting the film, working alongside Scorsese and Newman, and additional projects that distinguish her remarkable resume. Did Color of Money come into your life from the usual audition process? Yeah, it did. I'm trying to think. I... It was just a meeting. I think I, I mean, I suppose a lot of people can say, well, I was the last person they saw. As I recall, I'm not really sure. I just went in one day, I remember, and met, I don't know if I read first or if I just went in and, and, and then there was a, a, Tom Cruise was there and Marty's. I do remember meeting Marty Scorsese because I had done a few days on The King of Comedy and I remember talk about it, the, slightly, the slight neurosis and guilt that people hang on to. He said to me as I walked in the door, it wasn't your performance, I just never liked the line. And I didn't know what he meant because that was before <laughs> you could video. And I, never, I didn't go to the I didn't dare go to the cinema and see the movie. No, no, it took me ages to do that. But And I, was, I played college girl outside the stage door at the very beginning of the film, perhaps. I stood in front of Robert hmm. De Niro on a piece of tape, and, and it was outside and for a week, and I thought, my God, if this is filmmaking, I better go open a bakery or something. But, um, but yeah, that was Marty's first word, something like something to that effect. It wasn't your performance. I hated the line, or I always hated the line. That's why I cut it. I, I, I was, it was it, uh, just interesting. But, um, and I so he remembered you. He, he remembered you from the King of Comedy, the, that little yeah. scene. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, college girl. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So you were in the room with Tom Cruise. This was, 
the same year as Top Gun, so it wasn't the internationally known. I mean, he was a couple of months away from being internationally known, wasn't he? Or? Yeah, it was. This was just. This was on the heels of risky mm. business. Okay. And yeah. he was so young still. I do remember him one day saying, "We're sitting in a car waiting to roll." I mean, we were in a. You know, and it, the car was the set, and saying he was talking to. I think Paul Newman was in the front seat. And I remember Tom Cruise just, but I'm only 23, and he was just trying to figure this whole thing out. You know, <laughs> pretty enormous, and he had. I mean, it was he was he couldn't have known what was going to happen, but. Um, this, this was a very early. I think this was something like the second major, biggest, big movie that you did. You just come off a major role in Scarface. But I, I would think for even the most seasoned veteran, working alongside people like Scorsese and Paul Newman just had to have been overwhelming. Um, yeah, I'm not a kind of an overwhelmed type of person. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty grounded. And also I could see the in other things I had done where people just fell over themselves because they were in the presence of other of, of, of great talents. And these people did have great talents. I, I'm not demeaning any of that. I'm not taking away at all at all at all but a it makes the 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 great and the good very uncomfortable and and b they just demean themselves (laughs) and i just thought less genuflection more focus is best Mm -hmm. um but you know the truth is that they both are i'll just use the present tense because mr newman is no longer with us but and that should just never have happened but um that should not be allowed but um they are so keen on the process and so deeply committed to what they're doing that there is no awkwardness mm. because they're there to do the best, and when they do their best, you do your best. And you only assume that you're hired for a reason. I know that's hard for all actors because we all do feel like we're going to be found out any minute. But um, they're so enthusiastic and such champions and it's just so damned easy to be around that it makes the whole thing you know, no one comes in with, a, you know, wearing fur coats and 17 assistants. And it's just normal people coming in to do a day's work. And we rehearsed we rehearsed quite a bit before. And I remember Paul Newman saying, so we can enjoy Christmas, because we were meant to start shooting at, in the beginning of January, I think. And um, so we rehearsed for a couple of weeks prior to that. So everybody knew who everybody was. And, you know, um, it was quite nice, actually. Yeah. yeah. When you read the script, did you recognize Carmen right away? Did you recognize that kind of character? No, I mean, I'm you know it's no because I was in Man. I was already in New York, and I and it started was suddenly so clear to me that when I was on stage, and particularly if I was in a musical, I was kind of this doe-eyed ingenue. And then suddenly I went (laughs) to Hollywood, and they gave me a gun in bad language. It's like oh. I don't know. <laughs> this is so different. <laughs> but, um, no, not really. Other than you know, I'm. I'm it's it's interesting because now you're so many decades beyond where you were, where, where you were raised, and what you are of and from. Now I'm not from Carmen's world at all, but I'm not far from people who are of Carmen's world. You know, um, and very working class people, and there's nothing again it. But um, so I was very familiar with gals like her. And also, you know, it's just on the page, really. If when, it, when it reads that well, you just give yourself over to it. If you say yeah. what Richard Price wrote, it, it, it makes the scene fairly easy and everybody plays their part. But, um, you know, she was a survivor, old Carmen. There's something so 
knowing and and savvy about her. I mean, uh, especially up against the uh, Tom Cruise's character, his kind of youthful bluster. Uh, I mean, she ha- she has a kind of awareness that he doesn't. It seems. I would say now, as a as a as an older woman looking back, if I saw a girl like her, it would be that she wouldn't she would not have known her own potential, and that's there's a sadness in that. So you can say, oh, she's shrewd, or she's this, or she's that, but actually, when you haven't been exposed to certain opportunities, you don't know what you yourself are capable of. She hasn't had the mm-hmm. education, and she hasn't had the, quote, breaks, and she hasn't had, as I said before, the opportunities. So you, I remember at the time thinking, oh, she's ruthless, she would do anything, I said, or she's a survivor. She's like, yeah, when you're so young, surviving is really getting through the day and becoming exposed to the way other people think and and uh, things you qu- hadn't quite fashioned for yourself or you didn't think were possible. Yeah. Well, you've done so much I mean, work since on the, the the stage and then one great film after another. And I know you're, you're doing a, a lot of television as of late, too. And I'm wondering if there's usually a, a key to unlocking a character or, or, or is it more kind of a, a gradual process? And if you can remember how that applies to your role in Color of Money at all. That there's a key because if you latch onto that key, then you're kind of playing one element all the time. Um, I don't remember it so much with Color of Money as I remember it with like Scarface more. But um, she was watchful, and she said what needed to be said when she figured mm-hmm. it. Didn't, she she didn't say much. She wasn't defensive. She wasn't the front man. And I suppose she was the interpreter, ultimately. She was the interpreter for her boyfriend who didn't quite get it, who didn't quite understand what all was going on. I think that the characters, it's such an important part of this movie. And, and I mean, just tonally it's interesting because you're in between these two characters that are on completely different energy levels. Um, and she sees all and doesn't say much. Right. Yeah. Right. She sees it all, but it's not her gig. My pancakes are burnt. <laughs> no, no, wait a minute. We ordered four on two up. I don't want sausage. Sorry, I must have given you that. That's a dead giveaway. What is it? Four on two. Oh, egg duck. She was the killer waitress at the Acropolis. Yes. And they were her did them a favor and quit. What do you think? He's the only one who has to work? <laughs> How come you don't play pool anymore? I quit. Actually, somebody retired me. Sometimes you get in with the wrong kind of people, you know. But hey, that was a long time ago. Back east, dead and buried, I don't even think about it. Or won my share of medals. Hey, don't you ever uh, feel like picking it up again? I mean, you're always around those pool halls, you know, you see these guys. Nah, I'm too old, my wheels are shot. It's a young man's game. Besides, there's drugs now. You know, kids are playing a coke speed. I don't know. When I was younger, it was booze. Somehow it was more human. <laughs> booze, huh? Booze, yeah. Wine goes back to the Bible. The Bible never said anything about amphetamine. You religious, eh? Me? I get high on a man upstairs. Isn't there a Masters tournament you can play in? I mean, I've seen this on television, you know, them old golfers and stuff, like an old-timers tournament. Too old to cut the mustard, you can still lick the jar, right? Nobody ever asked me for a refund, honey. Not yet. 
I mean, I've always been a big movie fan, a movie geek, obviously. But uh, and I, I was attracted to the film as a teenager because of Scorsese. And uh, I got to tell you, uh, in in recent years when I've rewatched the film, it's meant a lot more to me. It's a lot a lot more depth to it than what I got from it as a teenager because I I think the movie's actually about the process of maturing and, and transitioning. And those are the kind of themes that I'm a lot more receptive to now as an adult than yeah. I was then. Yeah. Did you find it all more subtle then? Because you know, when you say it now, you know, we're hardly grandstanding actors. You, know, the, you, you don't put Paul Newman in a film to get an opera. You know, it's, it's, you don't, it's not that. It's, it's a more subtle plane. Do you, do you see more undercurrents now? That you, I suppose you do because you've just said you do. But, yeah, um, I absolutely do. I think as a I think as a teenager I watched it and I think a lot of people expected this expecting a typical uh sports movie where there's the big yeah, uh, mentor you know matchup at the end of it and what the mentor takes over for the teacher and and but it kind of subverts all of those expectations which took me by surprise at first it's a sort of a coming of age and a coming of a letting go of age and a letting go of status and you know, the coming up and the going down. Um, yeah. But I want to know the the process of working with Newman and what memories stand out either in your observations of him working or in your conversations with him. I found him, I, I, I he's the type of person who's very cool, but you wind up being very close to him because he wasn't at all sentimental and he was very affable, very friendly, um, and kind of, nur- not not kind of, nurturing. You know, he'd have us to supper and his, with his long-suffering assistant, Marsha, I remember her. I don't cook, she'd be saying, but I don't cook. And he'd give her the recipe and make her go off and, you know, we'd have these lovely suppers in his, his, his hotel suite. Um, but, you know, he's also a director, and he watches very closely, and I do remember on more than one occasion, and I cannot be specific because it's a very long time ago, but he would say that the camera were you know, trained on him. He, we would finish a few takes, and then he would say to Mar- Marty, you are going to get this. Are you seeing this? And he meant me, which is very kind. And so you are mm. going to get this, aren't you? And not that you know, Marty said, no, I, was, I, was, no I, was, I wasn't thinking of giving her any coverage. I mean, that would hardly <laughs> tell the story. But, but it was very... Um, it was very helpful. It was very helpful. And at times, sometimes, too, I would watch him do something on a, on camera that was very deliberate. And I thought, oh, so it can be an easier job. Than, it doesn't always have to be such a struggle. It can be just something one does. It's like you don't have to worry about the hand getting up to the head. You just flip and do it and get it over with, you know. Um, mm-hmm. he, was, you know he would talk about characters in a way that a lot of actors don't. You know, I remember doing the. I think it was the big where we're all at the big, the big convention at the end, and Carmen comes up to him. Does she approach him finally, and they see each other? And after between takes, he said, "I just realized he misses her, and he kind of misses her. You know, he misses this, this kind of daughter figure hanging around, kind of mm. whatever." But um, you know, recently um, I was at a jazz club in my neighborhood, and. I'm loathed when anything like this happens. I, when somebody said, "Oh, Mary Elizabeth Mashburn," and I was just like, you could hurt, you could hear me melting in the corner because I just don't like that at all. But by virtue of that, this woman came up to me and she said, "I'm Lisa Newman. You worked with my father, 
and it was his daughter. Mm. And he had, it was about a year, anyway, he'd already died. And it was just, because I, I, I really felt his loss tremendously, just tremendously. And um, uh, it was just lovely to have, and I won't use the word closure, but it was just lovely to be able to acknowledge the fact that with with his daughter, his real daughter, you know, because I used to say to him, can I just be another daughter? I'll just sleep on the sofa. No one will know I'm there, and I'll clean up after myself. I'm just going to come. You won't even notice me, really. Yeah. But, um, he, I mean, what a, be- what a beautiful, gr- graceful man. I mean, he he did so much for the for the world, uh, you know. He did. He did so much of it the right way. It's kind of astonishing. Mm-hmm. But your relationship with Tom Cruise, I mean, it feels in the film, it feel, feels very comfortable and lived in. Like, you know the dynamic between this couple. I mean, both the kind of the playful side, but you never doubt that, I mean, she's got his number. Uh, so I would imagine during that rehearsal process, there was a lot of opportunity to establish that with him. Um, I don't really remember. Um, yeah, they're just assumptions, too. And also, I'm older than Tom. And I could feel that when I was with him, and I do something else. I was mm. in theater. I was. I'm just. I'm, I'm a different person. I am. I'm. I'm. I'm Italian American. I'm, I'm just of that stock. So I'm very pragmatic, and I hear things differently than the way he hears things. And all we did was just to be who we are, and it worked. And you know, we're two professionals coming in. There's no flirtation. There's no. Nothing. It's just two people walking into a room and starting and starting committing to a job. And also, I want to say that a lot of it, you know, it's guided by Marty, which I really don't remember. I don't remember the rehearsal process, but I do remember. You know, Marty can hear. He could be a mile away because he can't get to the. He would always watch too. He'd he'd watch a scene. I don't remember him being on a monitor, but honestly, he could be having supper a mile away and he could hear where a scene goes off. If if if, if, mm. you, you, if you are playing a scene someplace, he can tell when that third line, when you said such and such, you and you and you did. You thought, yeah, you're exactly right. That's when I started acting. I got distracted. I was gonna do something, and I screwed <laughs> up. So, you know, he can hear it. He can hear it. He can hear the truth leave leave the room. You know, he was great. He's a great, great. He never makes you self conscious, says Marty. He never makes you self conscious. So I think that helped everybody. Because it was always, that's great, that's great, Jamie, that's great, Jamie, but don't do that again. <laughs> so he's like, okay, okay, so it wasn't so bad, but you just don't want to see it again, you know, rather than, you know, berating or, or go doing endless, endless, endless takes. You know, he didn't do that mm. either. But um, yeah. Was it was it a true road movie? I mean, did you guys travel a lot, as it feels like you do in the actual movie? No, we were in Chicago. We were just mm. in Chicago, in and around Chicago. As a matter of fact, once we were near a, uh, we were in a Toys R Us or something that was because I'm from that area, and I actually went home and sat with my parents for a few hours because I had a few hours before I had to work again. So that I use I use my home as my trailer instead. Um, yeah, we were just in Chicago, freezing cold winter, as I recall, freezing cold. Mm. But you got, uh, I mean, the big big news for you from this film was you got a nomination for it. And that had to have been an exciting experience. It was a very exciting experience. Funnily enough, I didn't. I never heard from anybody. I got the nomination, and it's odd. I I think there. Anyway, I won't go on why, but I never really heard from anybody in the company again about any of that. So I just sort of 
got myself together and got to, I was doing a show here in New York. I was doing a show at the public. And I, the, the, the Oscars used to be on a Monday night, and I was doing a matinee on a Sunday, and I got on a plane on Sunday night and mm. went to the Oscars. I think there was a little um, frisson because some people were nominated and some people weren't. I don't know what happened there, but I, I really never, or I was supposed to, I don't know. It was just so odd. There's a lot about the film business that's odd because there's a lot of different camps and everybody goes home. You don't ever, re- you never see anybody again. Right. You know. Right. You know, there's so there's so much that I could ask you about because you've been in so many great films and you're fantastic. I've I've loved what you've done for so long. But uh, there's another movie that uh, has an anniversary. There's a couple of yours that have anniversaries this year, and one of them is uh, Class Action. And um, I'm. Uh, and I just rewatched that uh, a couple of months ago, and I, I loved you in it, and I loved the film. It reminded me all over again that I, I, I love that piece. But uh, I mean, you're, that in that film, you're acting with another one of the greats, uh, Hackman, obviously, and he just seems like such an effortless presence on screen. But I would imagine that a lot of work went into that. I mean, what did you observe from working with him? We got on like a house on fire. I look at that movie, and honestly, I don't know if it was our Midwesternness. I was just on a play here in the city, so I was kind of ready to go. You know, you just you've been acting a lot, so you're you're very centered, and you can you know anyway, you just you're just ready to move forward. And it was a very it was a very good script, and. I look at that film now, and it really, to me, it just felt like a love story without the sex and all the other palaver. And it was between the father. But we we really just got on very well. We worked really well together. And he's there. He's like a he's like a rock. You know, you throw anything at him, and he's just there. You know, some sometimes a, a particularly strong woman, you 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 come at a male, and they kind of back up. And you think, oh no 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 no, it's only acting. Don't back up unless the director tells you to. You know, um, I'm not I'm not going to really hit you. In my mind, I'm going to hit you, but I'm not really going to swing. But um, and he's solid, and he cares too. He watches, he watches, he watches, and you know, he'll say, you, you don't have to do that. Or if, if Michael Apted, I really got on long well with as well. He's just great. He showed mm-hmm. up um, years ago. I was doing a, a, a production here in the city, and um, he came to see it, and I was really chuffed that he came, and he sat backstage, and, and he came to my dressing room, and I hadn't seen him in ages, and I just thought, well, that was so kind of you to come and see this, because you didn't have to do that, you know? Um mm-hmm. Yeah, we got on really well. Yeah. You know, years ago I read an interview with him, and he was um, talking about his favorite moments from his movies, his favorite kind of personal performance moments, and he named two movies. And one of them was a scene with you from uh, from Class Action when you're in the you're both in the kitchen, and he's talking about his the, the deceased wife. And it's it's a, a scene that turns a little emotional before he exits the room. Uh, so I mean that's that's really? special too. I mean, yeah, yeah. You I was telling Michael Apted that a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh my golly, you've made my day. <laughs> oh, 
that's, you know, sometimes so interesting because when you stand with certain actors and you just look at them, they just look back. And that's a very hard thing for beginning actors is to look at somebody. Mm. They want to look away. And sometimes you stand opposite an actor and they're just willing to look back and you think, we're going to be okay. Let's go. Mm. And don't forget, Larry Fishburne was in that. Yes. Larry Fishburne, yeah. I know. That was a good company. It was a really good. They used to make movies like that often, you know. They did. Yeah, I miss it. So sad, don't you miss it? And I look at what's going on in telly, and everything's digital, so it all looks the same. All the lighting looks the same. Oh, very distressing. Mm. I want to ask you. Speaking of like time passing and how things have changed, uh, I'm interested since you've we're talking about a movie that happened near the beginning of your film career, and now you've got so much great work under your belt. I'm wondering if acting means something different to you now than it did back then, and, and if you can define that. In many ways, I don't feel I act anymore, and that's kind of distressing. I mean, my I, my film career stopped a long time ago um, for whatever reasons those happened, I think, for whatever reasons those things happened. I mean, and might have something to do with it. I didn't live in the country for decades, but at any rate, um, <laughs> I wasn't not really convenient. But um, I... I you can become more pragmatic with the acting. You know, I'm doing television now. You're very, it's, it's not character driven as, as, as hard as they'll try to make it. It's really plot driven or it's a procedural. And so you're really just getting this amount of information out and you're trying to do as, as little as possible because if you move your face, you know, you just look like the topography of, you know, I don't know, the Grand Canyon or something like that because of the high definition, which is really distressing. <laughs> um, I missed. I do miss the discovery of acting. <clears throat> what I miss, I'll tell you what I miss. When you ask, I miss the process. I miss rehearsal. That's yeah. what I miss in television. And you miss it largely sometime in film too, especially big adventure, you know, films that are always moving. You don't always have the time just to invest in the in the rehearsal process, just the listening. Yeah. You know, when things move fast, you know, you're taught as an act. Well, I was. You listen. You have to listen. How do you know what to say if you're not listening? Unless you're playing someone who doesn't listen, and there you go. But you take the time to listen in a fast-moving, too many hours a day working television series. You put the whole production behind, you know, so it's just got to move. And that's what I miss because that's the gravy for an actor, and that's where – I don't know. I I can't can't make an analogy for for musicians or – it's it's just you don't you, you you find so you don't find anything you just keep moving forward, and I miss the um, the grace that you can find that you, or you can mm. be be gifted with in a in a rehearsal process. I understand that, yeah, but at the same time, is is working in television is it more conducive to actually having a a life outside of it? Yeah, um, well, film allowed me a life outside of everything, you know, film because uh, film always. Actually, I just said it, 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 it afforded me my theater habit. It paid for my theater habit. Um, mm. um, and I was very lucky. I don't even think that happens anymore. I really don't. I really don't. You know, now it's I, I see a lot of more movie people come to the stage, but I was a stage junkie, you know, and that's where I started and moved on from there. Um, yeah. Right now, yeah, right now, for example, in my my little family, I have to be in New York for all kinds of reasons. And I so I can't go anywhere. So I was really lucky 
and you know, I came back to the country about four and a half years ago, and it was like starting over. I mean, not exactly, but you know, you really, you know, you're going into auditions. I think I never audi- I never had a screen test. I was in film. I never mm. had a screen test, so I didn't even know what it was. You know, um, you know, we played the waiting game, and managers and everybody did what they had to do, and I wound up with a job that shoots in New York, and that doesn't have me working even every week sometimes, which is great because television is just too, too, too long a schedule, too hard, too mm. hard. Um, and it pays the bills, you know, it more than pays the bills. So, yes, that's that's what works. But television doesn't work for a lot of people anymore once they put on this top top of show pay and all of this, you know, you know about that, where no, guest, stars no. can only, the guest stars can only get like $7,000 an episode, say, where before you, you might have gotten more. Now, that sounds like a lot of money, but... How many episodes can you put together per annum to make a to make a yearly wage? It's hard. Mm. It's very hard. It's gotten harder and harder. Would you still go back to the stage? I would. I haven't been in a couple of years, and now with um, with Limitless going, well, we don't know. I'm either I'm either Jamie. I'm either unemployed or I'm on hiatus. I'm not <laughs> sure. So I'm supposed to find that, out. That that must feel so strange. That must feel so scary in a way. It's normal. That's what actors do. We never know. Yeah, yeah. We really never That's know. That's true. That's true. Yeah. You know, insure all your plane tickets. Insure everything because you just <laughs> never know what's going to happen.
Well, I saw Lon Chaney walking with the Queen Doing the werewolves of London I saw Lon Chaney Jr. walking with the Queen <clears throat> Doing the werewolves of London I saw a werewolf drinking a pina colada at Trader Vic's And his hair 